Well, I was hoping Peter Ducey would ask Biden today how he thinks McAuliffe will do in the election tonight. <laughs> but he, <laughs> he didn't do that. He asked him about his uh, paying uh, 450000 to illegals, which we'll get to. Biden says a hot take. But anyways, live from Studio 6B, what do you know, folks? What do you know? Calling parents... Um, Domestic terrorists, higher taxes, empty shelves, uh, higher gas, inflation, indoctrination, critical race theory, open borders, uh, calling you all racist, calling the country irredeemably uh, racist. Well, it's not that pop. It's not that popular. Are you, I'm shocked. Are you shocked? I'm, I'm stunned. I'm stunned. Defunding the police. I, for one, was going to call you a racist to start the show. How are you, my racist friend? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's lovely to be insulted and belittled and, and you know, being treated like a complete pleb. You know, I like that. I'm, I'm shocked. I really am. Yeah. So um, we got, we're bringing the big guns again here tonight. David Zier is joining us. Let me just start by saying this. Real America's Voice coverage last night was fantastic A+. Ed Henry... And Dr. Gina, who I think went to about two in the morning, it seemed like, were absolutely fantastic. Um, and every David was great, of course. Um, I saw Heather Mullen. She was fantastic. I mean, just the coverage on Real America's Voice was as good as anywhere. And I tried to flip around and watch. Well, I mean, some of it. <laughs> Come on. Come on. I watched, there, there were tears flowing. I watched. I watch stuff so you didn't. This is what I think of you, the audience. I watch stuff so you didn't have to. So you could keep your. So you could keep your dinner down. I uh, I feel like I I deserve a little credit for that too. I watched CNBC clips today with Joy, Nicole, and uh, MSNBC. You know, MSNBC. Yeah, right. Yeah. MSLSD. Whatever you. You know, with uh, who's the lunatic who looks like Fred Savage hosting it? Uh, she was the. Um, oh my God, Rachel Maddow. Oh yeah. Oh, God. I took the bullet. Paul took the bullet for you so you didn't have to watch it. I do have some of it to show you tonight. But, um. Hey, hey I took a couple bullets too. I sat okay. through Van Jones. Oh. Okay, I have Are Van you Jones. Okay? I, I'm, I'll be okay. I'll recover. We look over, he's riddled with bullet holes. I, I have Van Jones. We'll show you that as well. But let me start with David. David was in the thick of it. Uh, you were fantastic last night. And really today, by the way, the that. hits you did during the day. So let's, I guess. My kind of opening, I think, sums it up what this race is about. What this, what this, what last night shows us is that um, America is not going to, we're not going to kneel down and go away. We're not going to submit. We're not going to give in. This country is not going to be or turn into this, uh, this utopian vision that these people want. And uh, parents are not going to, don't mess with our kids. Uh, don't mess with the police. We, we want to live in, um, you know, we all want to live the American dream, and no other place can do it but this. And you're just not going to screw it up. We're not, we're not falling for your utopia. And people, as I've said on this show for a long time, everybody has a line. And it seems like a lot of those lines have been crossed. Um, and if you remember, this is what Kamala Harris said a couple days ago. Because you see, what happens in Virginia will in large part determine... What happens in 2022, 2024, and on? Yeah. <laughs> so, David, I'll come to you. Give me the macro overview take of last night, and then um, what's really stood out to you? I think there's a common thread that people are tired of being told they're bad people for being good people. Um, we've had a year and a half, two years of 
devastating COVID policies, losing one third of our small businesses in New York and New Jersey. Uh, Virginia has a hypocrite governor who dressed in black face and Ku Klux Klan clothes in college and is still the governor somehow. Mm. Um, You know, uh, there's a double standard and people are seeing it. And those Project Veritas videos in New Jersey uh, where they expose campaign staff of Phil Murphy saying they're not they're going to wait until after the election to impose more tyrannical lockdowns. When that went public, I think that was a driving force. I think the father who was tackled by the police in Loudoun County after his daughter was raped and went before the school board because of transgender policy and a guy walking into the girl's room with a skirt and raping a woman and then was secretly transferred to another school. And it turns out he may have done it again. Uh, People are done. People are fed up. Now, Long Island, you know, maybe we get into it later, but, you know, we have the America First Warehouse. We have the Long Island Loud Majority. We have the Patriot Groups. We have Telegram. We're all organized. We've been doing five, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars truck ra- yep. car truck rallies and rallies at the train station, as Paul e. Nolan knows, you know, very well. Um, you know, we've all gotten together and we've decided that we're not going to take it anymore. And I think it, it uh, perforated into uh, Long Island society. We have gains that we haven't seen in 100 years on Long Island. Yeah. And not since, not since uh, Nixon took um, you know, uh, Suffolk County by 81,000 votes in 1972 have we seen such a red wave. Um, this was extraordinary. We had 80 to 90% of our office holders on Long Island go Republican yesterday. From the legislature yeah. to the DA, we got rid of Todd Kaminsky, who authored oh, the, the bail reform bill, and Ann Donnelly crushed him. Uh, but listen, in, in Manhattan... There's more Republicans in Havana, Cuba than there are in Manhattan, unfortunately. Uh, you know, um, the highest vote getters in the citywide elections was Sleeba with only 28% of the vote, and most got 13 to 20. The Republicans got slaughtered. Uh, but the good news is that Sleeba getting about 30% of the vote is good for next year's uh, Repub- uh, Republican gubernatorial vote because it's going to help them big time uh, knowing they can get at least 30% of Manhattan. And I think things are going to get worse here. We've got Letitia James. We've got de Blasio. We've got Hathi Hochul. We've got terrible Democratic candidates that will drive us into the ground. And listen, what, I want to make one more comment about New Jersey. Um, this was Chattarelli's to lose. I don't think the New Jersey GOP worked hard enough. Um, I was organizing with their communications director since Thursday to go in there and cover it last night. I was in the city at the Metropolitan Republican Club. We were broadcasting for like 18 hours. It was an extraordinary day. But we wanted to go to Jersey headquarters last night. Do you know nobody from the campaign got back to us? And we had help. We had major help. Uh, Even called us back since Thursday. And do you know that the communications director for the campaign for governor of New Jersey didn't know who Real America's Voice News was. I'm livid. You know, we have John Solomon. We have Gina Loudon. We've got the War Room, you know, some of the best shows in the country. LFS6B. You know, LF, you know but you know, it's like we have, we have like Shut heavy up, hitters on the network. <laughs> you know, everybody loves, uh, you know, our shows. Of, but, you know, we're on the ground for three Ed years. Henry, no. And it's extraordinary, right? You know, the communications director did not know who we were. I I was like, man, the Republicans are so out of touch. That's why Chattarelli is losing that race. And, you know, we can complain about fraud and whatever we want. But like Charlie Kirk said on a show on uh, radio today, you know, this is the Republicans' fault. And all they had to do, and also is get behind them a little more. And these fake polls, that Rutgers poll... 
was off by 12%. That's voter suppression because people were disinterested in Chatterelli, and the truth was that he was neck and neck with Murphy for the last two weeks. So um, I think it's disgraceful. I think that people have to stop running away from Trump. You, can, you can't run away from Trump because his policies were right on target. Look what happened in Virginia. And I was at Glenn Youngkin two months ago, and Glenn Youngkin was uh, you know, acting like a big conservative. I love Trump. I love Trump. And he was with the Loudoun County School Board, and I was with you know, his lieutenant uh, governor. Now, she's extraordinary, Sears. Um, but my, my whole point is that, you know, um, you can't run away from Trump. People say move away from Trump and you'll get elected. Arthur Finkelstein, Senator Aldermato's campaign manager, said don't go after the left. Don't go pro-choice just because you think you're going to get more votes because they're never going to vote for you. We need to amalgamate the base. I think it's two-thirds of the American public is really pissed. And it's less about party and more about fighting the institutional bureaucracy, these restrictive lockdowns, our control over our lives, losing your constitutional rights, and having the SWAT team come to your house because you built an illegal shed. People are fed up, you know, and they're standing up and they're rising up. So, um, you know, that's where we're at, I think. All right. So let me ask you a couple of things about last night and you all can chime in here. Do, uh, so New Jersey uh, looks like has been called now tonight for um, doofus. Uh, so New Jersey still looks like it's going to go into looks like it's going to continue down into the toilet bowl. But here's my question. Even for somebody like Murphy, who squeaks this out, somebody like Kathy Hochul, who's looking to run next year and looks at this. And there's umpteen governorships up, obviously, next year. Um, do the blue, out-of-control, tyrannical governors, do you think, looking at what happened in New Jersey, they have any brain cells to say, hmm, this could be me next year. Maybe I, need to, uh, maybe I need to slow down on the Marxism here and like put it into like only, you know, kind of. I can't go full-blown. I think it's too little, too late. They're going to move center-right. You know, Clinton moved center-right in the end of his presidency. But it was because Newt Gingrich shut down the government and forced him to cut taxes. And the economy took off like a rocket ship in 96 because Gingrich forced him to do that. And the contract with America, with the Republican Congress. You know, these they can pretend they're conservatives. It's not going to work. Um, I think New Well, York- I'm not saying they're going to pretend they're conservatives. But I'm saying someone yeah. like Kathy Hochul has got a year here. If she, if she, if she just goes full-blown Marxist and tries to mandate everything under the sun— in a place like New York, where you think she would, and any Democrats, obviously gonna, it's gonna be very hard for Lee Zeldin, you would think. Unless they make it where people just say, like, what happened last night in New Jersey, and she ends up, you know, whoever runs for governor is gonna be in a, in a dead heat with Zeldin. That's not where they wanna be, or they think they should be. But if they go full blown Marxist here for another 12 months, could they be? Will it slow it down? Will, it, will last night slow them down even a little bit in the policies and the mandates uh... and the over the top? I'm in both camps on that one. I think their policies will be so devastating that New York's going to be in the tank even further and the Republicans will sweep. Um, I also believe that, um, yes, they can slow it down to try to get more, you know, populous messages. But the dirty little secret is that minorities are moving away from the Democrats oh, yeah. in the city. The New York State mm-hmm. Comptroller candidate black. You had you had women. It was the wall of women yesterday running in New York City. Um, you know, I think there's a sea change in the minority position. Dominican Republic uh, Dominicans up in the Bronx were coming out for Republican candidates. You know, they're tired of street vendors with no laws on the streets, plop, uh, opening businesses in front of their stores, intergenerational families, Ozone Park, ethnicity, going for Republicans. I see, I see a change. Uh, on one hand, I'm a little hopeless about New York, but um, I think that things may get so bad that people are going to snap back far to the right. 
David, are you saying, though, even though you're hopeless for New York and how entrenched it is in the blue party of Marxist D's, even when you see it move to 35, 40%, let's just say 35% are, maybe 40, does that give you hope across the nation? Is that where the hope comes from? Um, I, I think that people with paying $5 a gallon this winter for home yeah. heating oil, uh, an extra $3,000 on their bill, an extra 5000 at the uh, supermarket, an extra 3000 in the gas tank, another 15000 a year in expenses for them is going to be devastating to all middle-class workers, regardless of your race. If you're making fifty dollars to $150,000, it's going to bankrupt people. Um, I, I'm hoping, you know, this will finally wake people up, um, you know. Uh, we'll see, but in the city, um, New York City, the elitists run the city. Uh, they're all hiding in the Hamptons and then going, what restaurant do we go to next? Their property, they want to show their vax cards off. Meanwhile, their parents and grandparents were thrown in ovens and made to wear badges in Germany, and they just whip out their vax cards like, oh, look at me, look at me. And, you know, they've ceded all their rights, and they have the money to survive this, but the middle-class family in Manhattan in the five boroughs has to make $150,000 to $300,000 just to feed yeah. their families. Um, I think they're going to be crushed. Um, you know, I, I'm worried. I'm really worried. Look at East New York, Bronx. It's a war zone. It's a war zone. All right. We're just getting started. We will continue to talk about what happened last night. We'll do some other things as well. We've got a bunch of clips to get to on some of their absolute off-the-wall reaction last night. Crazy town. Biden today. Good stuff. Live from Studio 6B. Glad you're in on a Wednesday night. We're back right after this. All right, 17 past the hour, live from Studio 6B on a Wednesday night, night after the, um, really what was, I think most of us have to come away saying a very hopeful night. A lot of people have been down, a lot of people have been saying, what are we going to do? A lot of people have been saying, well, how do we get through these four years? We're only 10 months in, it's such a disaster. Well, it's nice to see that you're not, you know, you know, the people are with you. We know where this, we know where the majority of this country is. We know about this country. We know about the people who you know, the citizens of this country, we know what we know. And uh, it's just nice to be reminded that the country is, for the most part, where we think it is. There's going to be these pockets like New Jersey. They call this race for Murphy tonight. It's just, I mean, you just can't imagine, you know. It's, it's, I, I'm, what I said to David, though, I'm still interested. You know, we saw the Project Veritas videos. I'm interested to see if this, this lunatic still goes down that road. Knowing that he was exposed before, Seeing what a tough race it was, I mean, they call it forum. I, I mean, I haven't really looked at it all day to see. Uh, what's the vote? David, do you know what the final vote, what was the difference in Jersey? What are they saying he's up by? Uh, the last I checked, it was like uh, 13,000 or so. Uh, I don't know if that's changed since about 5 o'clock this afternoon. Yeah. Uh, but the remaining precincts that still have to report were mm -hmm. Democrats, so there was little hope for um, Chitterelli. Chitterelli. So we'll see what happens. Even so, though they called it, because they could contest it. Yeah. So we were t you were you were talking in the break, and I I actually th I think what you said is worth saying again on air because we did see uh, staying here close to home on Long Island. We saw really just we've never seen before. Nassau County Executive gone, Suffolk County DA Ray Tierney wins, Sini gone. 
uh, just a real red, I mean, really, when you say red wave, a lot of people use that term. I mean, it was a red wave on Long Island in real blue blue places that we've never seen like this before. And you were attributing uh, a lot of that to some of the, you know, people on Long Island, some of the groups that have, you know, the rising up, what we talk about, people rising up, getting together, um, and just getting out there, foot soldiers getting out there and spreading the word and getting the message out. And people are not going to sit on their couch. They're not going to sit on their couch and watch their kids, their country, their private property rights, their their liberty. They're not going to see it. Um, you know, and just, a lot of parents missed so much of what was going on at the high school level, especially the college level. They missed the Marxist takeover that, you know, a lot of us have been screaming from the rooftops about for, for years now. And when it got to their, you know, really their, their, their middle school kids and then them elementary school kids, parents had had it. They had complete, that was it. You're, you're not poisoning my 10-year-old, 12-year-old. On top of the masks, on top of all the other complete draconian, you know, rules against everybody's individual liberty, it was nice to see all these. And then when, realistically, when, right, the, right, right, when they called parents who were defending their children domestic terrorists that's where i think i think that's where everything was it was over then the people don't want porn in their libraries they don't want uh, transvestites reading to their three-year-old children at least real americans and people with nuclear families who care about their family and um you know they removed removed religiosity from all aspects yep. of society um, and, uh, you know, Loudoun County, I was down there with Ben Carson and these mad parents uh, about two months ago. And, you know, people were telling me horror stories. They're autistic kid. They were forcing the mask to stay on the kid. They were like taping them onto their head. Uh, pa- kids of child abuse, uh, child abuse victims being forced to wear masks when their original parents were duct taping their face and abusing them. Um, you know, uh, pronouns, teachers not using proper pronouns for binary people and all that stuff. Fired lost in the Virginia State Supreme Court. You know, we have no rights anymore. The SCOTUS is against the people, the Supreme Court. The state court, they are against the people of the United States. Uh, But people are rising up, and I think you're right, and you don't mess with Mama Bear. Yeah. So we saw even stories like, well, so do you want to talk about Long Island a little bit? It's a place you obviously know very well. What we saw yesterday in Long Island? Uh, Yeah, you know, I I spent like 35 years in politics here. Um, I've run races. I was a deputy campaign manager for the second largest election in New York State when I was 20, uh, Brookhaven. And, you know, people used to talk about corruption, corruption. You used to be able to get stuff done in Long Island and the towns. And the way you get treated now in the building departments, the way you get treated, the fees, the contract. If you're a contractor, when you were 18, you could just buy a truck, start a business at 28, buy a piece of land, build a house at 38, buy a commercial building at 48, be a big commercial landlord, American dream, rugged individuals. That's gone. You're 18 now. You got to take out liability for 10000 dollars not a thousand you got workers comp you've got unemployment insurance you've got licensing fees in every single town then you go to the town you get treated like crap and people are tired of it people are tired of it they're public and i i think yesterday was a display of long islanders being fed up because we're the guys who wake up at four in the morning and let our crews out of the gate we're the guys who own the small businesses while everyone else is sitting home doing nothing smoking weed in their parents basement getting rewarded for it and i think you know this was like finally that breaking point that you 
you know, we always said was coming, right? Yeah. Um, it's too much. The load is too much. You know, we're being told we're bad. Um, yeah, the, uh, the financial burden now. And then we're watching municipal unions who control the politicians. It should be illegal for a municipal union to donate to a politician because they donate to both sides. And the Republicans and the Democrats are both guilty of giving lucrative contracts that are Man. five times the size of what normal Long Islanders make, which is 60000 a year. Top pay for some of these officials is 500000 300000 Superintendents of schools make it 600000 And then they're warping your kid and shoving CRT down their throat. Look what the loud majority did in Smithtown. They got the whole Smithtown Library board changed. They're getting the school district changed. This is like local, real action stuff. This is grassroots. Um, and it's, it's really exciting to see. I'm, I'm very pleased about it all. There's a bunch of really cool stories from last night, and Paul brought one to my attention. Do you know the story of this guy, Edward Durr, in New um, Jersey? It's a truck driver and he beat to the yeah, government. Beat the Democratic president, who I believe has been part of the Democratic machine there for 12 years, yep. the New Jersey Senate. As of 12 days ago, you know what he spent on his campaign? $153. Yeah. It's extraordinary. <laughs> and I think I read, you know what? He, he raised ten grand. And only spent 150 of it. And, and you know what I think that tells you is that are you trying to tell me that all those people showed up for this guy, showed up for Citarelli, showed up for you know Republicans throughout the state of New Jersey, and you're trying to tell us, you're trying to make us believe that Trump didn't win New Jersey? Really? The Trump name. He, he, he brings everything with Kingmaker, him. Kingmaker, right? Kingmaker. But also the biggest turnout of the Republicans ever. And you're trying to say that more Republicans now showed up for this than they did last year? You know, Rick, uh, we covered the Trump uh, rally in Cape May when Jeff just Van a Drew, question. Jeff Van Drew went to the Republican side a few years ago. There were 175,000 people who wanted to go to that rally. And there were 30,000 people outside in zero degree weather waiting for 8, 10, 12, 15, 24 hours to get in Trump rally. That's where Jersey was at. So I think there's fraud in Jersey. And, and you know what? I think Citarelli's got a case for a, for a forensic audit. Why not? Hey, what do you got to lose, Mr. Murphy? You won, right? Supposedly. Well, the law is you have 17 days to do that. Right. And um, Well, that's see. just for a recount. Yes. So. You, but you can go to Superior Court and ask them to, you know, to challenge it, right? All right, let me, let me ask you about this, David. Speaking of since we're talking about former President Trump, what do you make of the argument I heard last night? And I heard it from places that would be considered more leaning right, conservative outlets, that you can embrace the policies— because the base and America is there with the policies, but net, but you can now separate the policies and run messengers that are more just like people looking at Glenn Young can go and hey, this is just looks like a normal guy. Didn't really know much about him before he came out of uh, before he started running this campaign. Business guy tells his wife, "I'm going to retire, and I have this calling." Just regular old guy. What do you make of that argument that you can separate the policies, you can take MAGA, uh, America first, but you don't necessarily, he doesn't necessarily have to be the messenger. MAGA is Trump, and Trump's the only one who can get out front and hammer everybody and beat the hell out of them and talk like a builder from Queens and drive U.S. policy, bringing 9,000 factories and distribution centers back to the United States, the best economy we ever had. Only Trump could do that. And you can't run from Trump. And Youngkin didn't. He embraced it. And MAGA won Virginia. Yeah, man. All right, MAGA we'll pick, won Virginia. We'll pick that up when we get back. Live from Studio 6B on a Wednesday. A little recap. 
of your election night last night. America's Voice on a Wednesday, one day removed from the election last night. David Zier's joining us to kind of recap some of the um, what came out of last night. Rick Delgado's here. Uh, Paul Nolan's here. Rick Amorati. We'll get to sports and news in a little bit. Uh, so, David, I'm going to go back to what we were talking about Trump. Matt Walsh from the Daily Wire, Ben Shapiro's place. Um, he tweeted this last night. Virginia is what a post-Trump GOP could look like. Engage in the culture, focus on the issues that really matter to parents and families, mobilize, fight smart, and crucially, not revolving around one single personality like Trump. This is the way forward. As long as Trump is on the stage, in my opinion, everything will be about Trump. That's how Trump himself wants it to be, but parents don't wake up every morning worried about Donald Trump. They're worried about their kids, their, their communities, their country, their jobs. Young can spoke to that. And it clearly worked. So what do you say to that? I think it's full of baloney. Uh, Trump is a populist message with the people. Uh, people say, you know, the tweets were bad. I disagree. The media treated him like a piece of garbage from the beginning. He, the Republicans are always nice and they get trounced. We need a fighter. Take the gloves off. Take America back. Care for the guy who opens the gates for his cruise every morning and takes all the risks. You fail nine out of ten times. That's Trump's message. And you always pick yourself up and you do better. There's no positive message from the GOP, from... You know, from McConnell, you know, who's useless. You know, you only have Ted Cruz, Jim Jordan, Donald Trump, Rand Paul. You only have a few people out there that are really fighting for Americans. And without Trump, this wouldn't have happened yesterday, period. I was in Iowa three weeks ago, four weeks ago. We got 25,000 people out there. Biden gets eight people standing on a corner holding a pumpkin. You know, um, you know, listen, um, nobody has done what Trump has done. He's powerful. He's independent. He doesn't give a crap about the establishment GOP in the end. He wants to do what's right for Americans. He's a billionaire. He doesn't need to do this. And even Trump Jr. says, I'm a billionaire builder from Queens. I just want my kids to be able to own a gun in 20 years. These people are real. And I've met a lot of politicians and past president, all kinds of people. They're the realest of anybody I've ever met. And I, I, I got to say, I love them. I really, I just absolutely love them. And, um, you know, they're fighting. Who else is fighting? Who's fighting? You know, nobody's standing up there. Where were all the Republicans when they limited our, our gun capacity to seven bullets on Long Island? Where were all the Republicans when they had these massive, uh, you know, minimum wage hikes? You know, I left the Republican Party after 30 years and working on like 200 races in 2016 to vote as a conservative for Trump because they voted for those things. The safe fact, the minimum wage hikes, you know, taxes were never lowered, except in a few townships on Long Island, they held the line on taxes a little bit. The Republicans don't represent my my values uh, anymore until Trump came around and center and, and just demanded accountability for these people. I, I got to say, I'm in business and I've never been so stressed out in my life. And I don't know, you know, how much money you have to make to be happy on Long Island. You can make two, three hundred grand and not have a nickel left over if you own a business. It's getting impossible. We have to strip the power of the municipal union chokehold over our politicians. Trump's a populist message. You eliminate him from the picture. We are back to weakness. We are back to weakness. Yep. 
Yes, I couldn't agree with more. But I'm not bitter. <laughs> um, I don't even know what to say after that. I mean, what's there to say? That's just so on the money. It's just so on the money. You know, yeah. I, I, the neocon BS and, and the rhinos just got me out. You know, that's why, the you know, honestly, Ron Paul was my switch. And Ron Paul, like you said, is one of the few guys really out there fighting. But like Jim Jordan and Ted Cruz, Ted Cruz eviscerated Merrick Garland. Where would we be? I think that helped with the election. When Ted Cruz got up there and said to Merrick yeah, Garland. we played it. Yeah. Yeah, that amicus brief that I brought would have brought to Rehnquist when I clerked for him, Cruz said, he would have fired me. You went up in front of the American people with no proof that there was any threat from the American people. And the only person who was a threat to that board maybe was the father of the daughter who was raped and was held down and tackled by the police and treated like a piece of crap. You know, um, so, um, you know, there's only a few people who are skilled enough to make that fight. I think Trump. So I just had Peter Navarro on my show in Trump time. He wrote the book in Trump time. And what it means is every time Trump had a meeting in the Oval Office with all his chief of staff, Mark Meadows, everybody, he used to come away with a mission. And he said, let's get it done in Trump time. And that's the difference. The Biden administration has this pre-planned climate change agenda that's totally devastating our economy and the fossil fuel industry. You know, nothing's going to get an F-16 to China quicker than a cup of gasoline. You can't do it with a windmill. You know, we have to keep our fossil fuel production up. So, like, you know, Trump was definitely a brain. He comprehended the issues. He shot for the moon and settled on something in the middle. But uh, who else, who yeah. else is doing that? George we, Bush didn't do that. We always heard, you know who we heard from, and you'll know, um, we heard from on the show is John um, on here on Long Island. His brother is also uh, his brother is the uh, over oh, in Brookhaven. John Laval. John Laval. Oh, John thank Laval. you. John Laval was here a couple years ago. Well, actually, it's probably it was probably the 2016 election. He was working for him. He was on the on the campaign. He was doing CNN and doing all these places. He came yeah. here and he said that um, the one thing he didn't know President Trump before he went on, you know, started going to these meetings. He said he's an incredible listener. People think it's all about him when he's in the room. It's not. He said he'll sit down with a room full of 12 people, listen to every single person, and he'll make the final decision. But he's one hell of a listener, which makes him a good leader. I've engaged him in conversation several times, and um, he's a sponge. He's a sponge, and he's a unique guy. You know, he's never had a cigarette or a drink in his life. He has a sharp mind. Um, you know, listen, um, I don't care that he's brash. I really don't. We're in the fight for our lives. I was in the Soviet Union in 1986 in Moscow with bread lines, curfews, and tanks in the street, kind of like every blue city right now in America. We are heading there. Anybody who's from the Baltic states or comes from behind the Iron Curtain will tell you right now that the United States is heading for a fascistic, communist-style, socialist, progressive regime, and that's exactly what's coming down the way. And if we don't wake up right now, and I think it's too late personally, you know, but we still got to fight. Um, you know, we're in trouble. We are in trouble. We are in a Marxist revolution. There are 600 people being indicted and held on January 6th who did nothing wrong, you know, and this was a setup and it's complete bogusness. And uh, we are in that revolution and Republicans went along with it and anti-Trumpers don't want Trump yeah. to run again. And they're scared. To, they're scared to death of Trump. That's what I think it is. Well, yeah, because he's not an establishment guy. And that's been the problem the whole time. Like if he disappears, you know, like that, that whole theory of, well, you know, you can embrace the policies, just lose the guy. No, because then you're left with a bunch of politicians 
who are going to just fall right back into, oh, well, you know, hey, you grease my elbow, I'll grease yours, and, you know, let's make a deal, and nobody has to know about this. That, that's it's exactly what we're setting ourselves up for and getting back to that, you know, left-right uh, left, right wing being the same bird. Yeah, that march of tyranny, left-right, right. left-right. Same old and he, Trump makes his own deals. And he's a deal maker too, you know. And I don't think there's anything wrong with it. But don't sell out your country. How do don't, you um, don't sell out your country? How do you square? And I don't know that he even wants to run. I, by the way, I don't know that the former president wants to run. I assume he does. I assume he's waiting to see. He's. I heard him say, you know, obviously if his health would would be something that would stop him. But how do you square Trump versus an, an idea of a DeSantis run? Um, I don't think Florida can afford to lose DeSantis. I don't want him to run for president. I want it to be Trump Noam, you know, get a nice Republican conservative woman who can kick your ass on the ticket. I think Trump locks it up. Do you Um, think she's as popular among conservatives as she once was thought of? Maybe not, not so much with like a true idealistic conservative per se, but she's an independent woman. She's a hunter. She's got biceps like Linda Hamilton in Terminator 2. She has the lowest unemployment in the country during COVID. She has 2% unemployment. She attracted technology companies from New York and California. She's smart. She's patriotic. She defends America. Um, I think that would be a great role for her. Um, uh, I, I, I love DeSantis. Uh, I just don't know who's going to take DeSantis's place in Florida because it's like a last bastion of real America. I've heard some rumblings that the former secretary of state wants to run as well. Mm. Mike Pompeo. What do you think of him? Love Mike Pompeo. He's a true patriot, graduated number one in West Point. I spent a little time around him. I think he's brilliant. And, you know, um, you know, he's so devastated over Afghanistan. He told me that, you know, when he was in Afghanistan, he had to negotiate with the Taliban leader who killed his best friend in the special forces. And it was the toughest time of his life. And then Biden comes along and gives the runways over to the Chinese. You know, Pompeo is a real patriot. I think he would make a great president. Mm. Maybe Trump Pompeo. All right. So, well, yeah, yeah, that's that's been some of the uh, some of the talk. So um, I just think having a woman on the ticket makes a big difference, though, in this <laughs> day of optics. It's so much about optics. She asked True. me to the prom. I was I was with Trump and her on stage with Trump Jr. And I had the same tie that matched her dress. And she fixed my tie and says, you want to go to the prom with me? I, I never got over that. Um, well, let's listen to a little bit of some of the reaction from last night. G. Let's start with one A, because this is really this is gets to the crux of what I watched all night. Roll that. And the exit poll showed that which was interesting that the coronavirus or that the virus it was a very has low was not importance to many yes, of the voters there. Was it was education right. which is code for oh, cool. white parents don't like the idea of teaching oh, about God. race and i mean oh. unfortunately race. race is just the most palpable so tool in the toolkit used to be of the democratic party back right. in the day when they were dixiecrats and now of the republican party it just is powerful i don't just, i don't disagree with that but i also think i think we also see the enduring power of the culture wars and and the Republicans are better at playing this game because it's essentially white identity politics that uh, works for again. Republicans. We saw it in 2016, uh, and we're seeing it in some of these races now, particularly the uh, in the, the McAuliffe race with of. the CRT issue uh, and education issue. And right. I think we know the answer to some of this. I watched Glenn Youngkin's interviews on Fox News, and he did nothing that clarifies. He did not 
I mean, he worshipped at the altar of Donald Trump on Fox News. He flew an insurrection flag at his rallies. He simply didn't. He played dumb about a, 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 a Zoom rally. He did not really put much distance between himself and Donald Trump on the big lie or the deadly insurrection in which police officers were maimed by I would love to debate every one of these morons. I think morons. That the, the real right. ominous thing is that critical race theory, which isn't real, turned the suburbs 15 points to the Trump insurrection endorsed Republican. What do Democrats do about that? Glenn Youngkin had 18 months to convince people that he was not a fire breathing horns out of his skull racist. This only you can only talk about critical race theory if you present yourself as the kind of neutral white guy who's like, I don't dislike brown people. I just think oh this is God. going a little too far. So it only works if you've been able to present yourself as neutral or non-hostile on race issues. That's not something that a lot of Republicans are very good at. And I saw somebody put this very eloquently on, online. They said, look, you know, Glenn Youngkin ran pretending to be Larry Hogan. He's going to govern like Mike DeWine. But to his base, they think he's Ron DeSantis. And that's what this is. It was a very sneaky triangulation. Because if you run on critical race theory and you're a screaming MAGA hat wearing maniac, then you're going to lose those suburban people because they don't want to be associated with that. Right. So I, I think it's only an effective strategy if you've been able to for, put four or five, six other things in, in line. Anybody else who runs on critical race theory, if you don't have the proper candidate to promote the message, it's not going to get you anywhere. Wow. They would have to be willing to say what you have said on your show. I think we've all said a version of it. You have to be willing to vocalize that these Republicans are dangerous. That oh, this isn't a party that's so just crazy. another political party that disagrees with us on tax policy. That at this point, they're dangerous. They're dangerous to our national security because stoking that kind God, of soft so white nationalism eventually leads to the hardcore stuff. It leads to the January 6th stuff because if people are tolerant of it in your party, they're tolerant of the, the soft racism, it it's a really short trip to get to the January 6th insurrectionist. They can't stop it. Boy, they all think they're so smart there, don't yeah. they? What a pack of idiots. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any word on the ratings for that show? I'd love to Zero. see Zero. Two. That's why, that's why Young can won, because of them. All right, live from Studio 6B, we're back on a Wednesday night. from Studio 6B on a Wednesday night. The great David Zier is with us. Recapping um, election night last night. So let's play one other clip and I want to get your reaction to it because I thought this one was interesting. Cut 20, Gene. This is um, the aforementioned Van Jones on CNN. Roll that. I think that the Democrats are coming across in ways that we don't recognize that are annoying and offensive um, and seem out of touch in ways that I don't think show up in our feeds when we're looking at, at, at our kind of echo chamber. Yeah. He could be talking about himself and the people he sits on CNN with and the whole damn station, the whole damn media there, because uh, you think that they're, um, they're a big part of this. I used to hate Van Jones. You know, he was a commie. Uh, I think he's turned the corner a little bit on some things. Sometimes he's very rational. I think he's, he's right on the money. But this isn't about dog whistle. This is about critical legal theory when the... 
Communists were kicked out by the Nazis and came to Columbia University from Germany. And critical legal theory is the foundation and the fact, the backbone that our criminal system and our, our court system is inherently corrupt. And it's a pro-commie attitude. That turned into critical race theory in the 80s. This is real. This is real. This is being taught to our children to hate, to hate. Well, I'll tell you this. They haven't slowed down. If the if the media thinks they have any part of what happened, which I guess they don't, they certainly haven't slowed down. 21G, this is how um, an hour and 48 minutes ago on MSNBC, Joy Reid took the night off tonight. I guess she you know, used too many brain cells last night to give us all the racist diatrides. She lose the last three. So somebody, t- <laughs> Tiffany Williams, was sitting in for. Here's how she opened the readout tonight. 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 After all of this, roll that, G. Let's be honest. Here's the thing. All those takes are like searching the edges while refusing to see what's staring right back at you. And I can assure you, black voters in Virginia are not shocked by the so-called Yunkin shocker. This isn't about enthusiasm. This isn't about Democrats not doing enough to exercise their base. And this definitely is not about messaging or even about beloved. This is about the fact that a good chunk of voters out there are okay with white supremacy. Let's call it <laughs> thing a thing. Actually, go. scratch that. They are more than okay. This afternoon, reporter Goo-goo. Yamiche Alcindor Goo-goo. asked President Biden about the results. She clearly understood the assignment. What's your message, though, for Democratic voters, especially black voters, who see Republicans running on race, education, lying about critical race theory, and they're worried that Democrats don't have an effective way to push back on that? Well, I think that uh, the whole answer is just to speak the truth, lay out where we are. Some voters are also giddy over candidates who have no business governing. (laughs) So she says black voters are not surprised. Well, no, they're not surprised because they've they've voted for Glenn Youngkin. They voted for uh, Winsome. You know why? Yeah. Because they don't want to get vaxxed and they don't want to lose their job and not be able to get unemployment like these crazy leftists are doing in the United States. They're going to kill people, going to die in the street. I have someone very close to me who saved thousands of lives in a cancer unit, lost their job and now can't get unemployment. And, um, you know, this is real serious what's going on. And you know why people came out? It wasn't a dog whistle. In New Jersey, they came out because there's a new payroll tax coming that's going to devastate the population. Teen suicides are up 42% in New Jersey. They have the most deaths per million for COVID deaths with the strictest lockdown policies, which are ineffective. They went about it all wrong. One third of small businesses are gone in New Jersey. There's a minimum wage hike coming for $15. The Project Veritas videos expose them as liars and evil people. Um, that's why people came to the polls, right? That's why we're uniting. And that's why the blacks have a sea change and that's why they're waking up. You know, Trump got like 20% of the blackmail vote. That that hasn't happened, you know. And um, I think they're turning the corner and waking up and don't trust their government. Um, And this is, you know, and it's funny. I just want to say, and and let you guys close it up, you know, know, I understand the Antifa uh, resistance. And, you know, if you're a kid and you came from a crappy family, you go to a state school and get indoctrinated like that woman on, on TV just now, probably went to Howard University and got this twisted education you know um, you know these people these kids are one month away from losing their homes and their rent and so are we 
You can make 200 grand a year and you could be defaulting on your mortgage in America today with all the fees and taxes and energy costs and all the inflation and stagflation. You know, so there's a commonality. So I think we need to harness that side more. I think we have to make this the fight against the institution of bureaucracy and less about party, take back our, our, our country and, and get some rights back, right? Yeah. Uh, Cut Tenji, you know, someone else who told us about African-American mothers, black mothers in the city, was Rudy Giuliani when he came on this show. And he said, when I was mayor, there was no group. um, There was no group that came up to me more than African-American mothers in the street and said, Mr. Mayor, we need more police officers, not less. We need more police officers, not less. They're the only thing standing between us and total anarchy in our lives. Uh, in Minnesota, that was on the ballot last night. Cut 10G. Andrea Mitchell tells us how that went. The outcome in Minneapolis also reflects what mm-hmm. Jim Clyburn warned back during 2020, that message about police and whether you call it defunding or reforming or becoming a public health safety department, that doesn't work with voters, not in urban areas and probably not in other areas. Yeah, it doesn't work. And it is defund the police. It's not anything else. It's not reimagining, rethinking, fundamentally transforming. It's none of that. That was all on the ballot. Every one of those words was on the ballot last night. And what we learned is we don't want to fundamentally transform anything. We don't want to reimagine. We don't want to rethink. We don't want to do any of that. And you saw this across the country. Ballot initiatives like this. Um, first-time elect, electees to positions, running Democrats out of office that have been there forever. A couple other things. We talked about uh, News 12, Long Island, cut 5G. We talked a little bit about what happened here. Roll that. It was a huge election night for Republicans across our island. A red wave sweeping across the island. Now, with 100% of precincts reporting, Nassau could have a race for Nassau County Executive. This morning, Republican Bruce Blakeman, the current Hempstead Town Councilman and former presiding officer of the Nassau County Legislature, is declaring victory over Laura Karn. The latest numbers have him ahead with 52% of the vote. Thousands of absentee votes still needed to be counted. Now, as of right now, Laura Curran is not considered seating. She released this statement oh overnight God. saying in part this is not over Back and seating. we must trust the process. Every Nassau resident who participated in this election is owed Democracy the opportunity here. to have their it's voice heard. And in the race for Nassau <laughs> District Attorney Republican Ann Donnelly claiming victory over State Senator Todd Kaminsky. Yeah. Yeah, and that one she she stomped him pretty good. Considering we 20 points here, at some I think yeah. 20 points she was up at 20, some point. 20 points. And considering we live here, I haven't really heard much about it. That was a convincing, I mean, just a convincing demolishing. Let's hear a little bit from Long Islanders on the election results. Cut 6G, roll that. We've been out here this morning speaking with Long Islanders, and a lot of what we've been hearing is that this isn't an incredible surprise, that people are really looking for change. But we asked a few Long Islanders to share with us why they thought we saw so much red as last night's results came in. Because of News 12. In some ways, it feels maybe not like a natural swing, I guess, you know, after um, things going more uh, to Democrats. But uh, I'm really not sure. I think they've forgotten that there was a middle class here on Long Island. People, you know, with the mandate. And I'm vaccinated. Trust me, I'm vaccinated. I'm giving to get my third booster shot. But, you know, the way it's implemented, um, the administration implements this mandate, not a good thing. A lot of people, you know, should have a choice. Uh, we've got about a minute left, David. I'll give you the final word here. 
Um, I'm very concerned for the future of America. I'm very concerned about our rights. I think they've already been stripped away. I'm tired of seeing law enforcement that we've backed 100% during these tough times, dragging people out of parent rallies. <laughs> you know, um, I think uh, yesterday was very inspiring, though. And uh, thank God for uh, these people, average people, waking up. And Churchill said, if you're not a liberal at 20, you have no heart. And if, you don't have a, uh, if you're not a conservative at 40, you have no brain. Uh, people are waking Waking up, uh, I think it's good. Uh, maybe too little, too late. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm encouraged. All right, hour two coming up, David. Thank you for joining us. Thank Thanks you. for coming in. And I've had a long couple days. You guys were great last night. Just fantastic. To the whole of Real America's Voice team, it was fantastic. I really appreciate that. Um, live from Studio Six B. Hour two coming up. We're back right after this. Two live from Studio 6B on a Wednesday night. Glad you're in. Real America's Voice, Dish Network Channel 219, Pluto TV Channel 240, Samsung TV Plus Channel 1029. Paul Nolan's going to get to some news. Rick Delgado's here. Geo Fran holding it down. Rick Amorati's going to do sports. The great David Sear joined us in hour one, coming off his election coverage last night on Real America's Voice, which was, I mean, it was it was just fantastic. Ed Henry. David Oliver, fantastic out in Denver. Dr. Gina down with Ed Henry in West Palm Beach. David up here in New York. Heather Mullins was at Yunkins, I believe, deal in Virginia. Uh, John Fredericks had a great panel that they kept cutting to. I mean, it was just, it was just so well done. Everything they went to was timed well, directed well. Everybody was, I mean, they just brought you great information. And, um... It was just fantastic. So I hope you locked it in last night on Real America's Voice. We streamed it on live from Studio6B.com, um, which seemed to work okay. We might be, um, no, we'll have to see if we can get the show streaming back on there consistently without any problems from the provider. Um, but we'll see. All right, so let's do some things here. We took the whole first hour with David. And I wanted to to recap what happened last night. So let's do uh, let's do a little sports with um, Rick Amirati, all in blue tonight, looking good. First of all, how are you? How are you feeling? Doing great, Big D. Getting re- better, better every moment. All right, very good. I'm ready back in the studio soon. Last yep. time we heard from you, of course, was Monday night. You did sports on yes. Monday, and um, <laughs> he's looking down. I right. believe there was a Monday night football <laughs> game on Monday, and you took the Kansas City Chiefs minus ten. Um, yeah, they won, they won, but they didn't cover. Okay, so here we are. Scoreboard now. Big D's up plus three thousand there, oh. Slick Rick. And oh. I wish, I wish yeah. Rick, I wish Rick that I could just say, okay, now let's do some sports, and we could go on and do sports. But that's um, that's not possible because I have my own sports clip here that I'm going to run for you first. G, fire it up. I'm willing to bet any. I'll tell you what. I'll 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 cover. <laughs> 
Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I'm going to warn you right now to watch yourself. <laughs> Look watch at Rick, your, Rick watch like, yourself yeah. and what you're going to commit to. Go ahead. Because I, I am in a bit of a cold streak right now. I will openly admit. But you're not going to tell me. There's no way they're not going to rig this thing. There's no way. There's no way they've mastered it. You bring in GPS fusion henchmen and, and Elias and, and every other crooked... Cro- We're never going to see a fair election in this country again. I'm sick of it all. Well, I'm willing to bet you, Mr. Damon Roberts, that Yunkin loses. Okay. And- Double or nothing on, on, for Rick. Wow. wow. The whole thing? The whole kit and caboodle right here right now. I always say, and here's the thing. I can't lose. I can't lose. Two reasons. One, Rick loses your 5Gs. No big deal to me. <laughs> I was going to say... <laughs> He's got the oil well at home. Uh, That's a lot of money. No, but no, fairness, if we get a Republican and I win, and uh, and if they lose, I still get to, I get the twenty five hundred. So I'll, I'm betting you twenty five hundred that you're up. That, that, that they rig can, it and Duncan loses. Okay, cannot you're, win. You're on. All right, I take that. Up eight in the I, oh, Fox boy. News poll, up four in the other oh, poll. Oh, because Fox that. News polls are so reliable. They're as reliable <laughs> as, you know, CNN and, and the HuffPo, WAPO. With Elias, the, well, they, the did, they did get Arizona with... right, Paul. What's that? They did get Arizona wow. right. Yeah. Fox News is going to call it for Yunkin at 8.01 in 30 seconds. They're going to call it for McAuliffe <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, 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 Slick Rick, here's your new. Um, wow. I hate to tell you that you're not down 3,000 now. Thanks to your friend, Mr. Nolan, you're now down six. So, Rick, oh I'll God. get it back. I'll get us even this weekend. Okay. Just hang in there. <laughs> Hey, Paul, give me some tips. Well, either that or we're going to be back in an almond corner. Yeah. Yeah. Here's, a, here's a tip, Rick. Stop betting. <laughs> no, 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 Does, Rick. I mean, don't listen. Nah, nah, don't, nah. don't listen to Delgado. You can't yeah. quit. we got to fight through this. All right, let's do some. Right. Well, so does Amirati have to consent to this, or is, can Paul just, like, keep racking it up? Well, he did consent to it on Friday when we did. Yeah, of course. Okay. So I'm in. I'm already in. Yeah, That's he's it. down six, no, and we'll go from here. We'll go from I here. i keep going. All right, let's do, do some. Sp- I'll I'll All right, let's do some sports. Contract. What's go- what's going on in sports, Slick Rick? All right, big Well, hey, I, I did get a chance also to catch Real America's Voice and Dr. Gina last night. I thought it was fabulous the coverage as I was bouncing back and forth with the local Long Island coverage and actually texting one of our local uh, legislators, and they said they were amazed that they, they were calling it the red tsunami as opposed to the red wave. And uh, wow, it was just really great. But the coverage on America's Voice was top notch, and uh, I was very engrossed in that and watching the Atlanta Braves win the 2021 World Series. It was their first World Series win since 1995. The state of Georgia, well, they got something to smile about finally, uh, as well as the Bulldogs being ranked number one unanimously through the AP and the coaches' polls early today. But let's get to the Braves. The Braves defeated the Houston Astros four games to two to win the championship, as I said, for the first time since 1995. Ironically, the Braves won that series, and I tweeted it out last night, on, of all things, Election Day, which last year's Election Day cost that team to lose the hosting of the All-Star Game, thanks to Rob Manfred and the Major League Baseball's decision yeah. about how they were saying, you know, the state of Georgia with the election rules were going to be uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, voter actors for people of color. Yeah, so long story short, ironically, they go out and they win the World Series. 
on election day. Unfortunately, it wasn't in Truist Park, their home stadium, but they did win in Houston. I thought that was just absolute poetic justice. So good for the Braves. Congratulations. And state of Georgia looking good. Bulldogs in number one college football playoffs. Their first uh, uh, rankings came out uh, yesterday. And Georgia's number one, Alabama number two, Michigan State number three, and Oregon number four. Rounded out with OSU and Cincinnati five and six, respectively. Cincinnati, although they're undefeated, they said the strength of their schedule and some of their close wins, like against Tulane, uh, kind of brought them to the back. But it's uh, shaping up for a good season and good for Georgia, that's for sure. Just one more big D, NHL Blackhawks, Brad Aldrich's name has been removed from the Stanley Cup amid the uh, sexual abuse scandal. This is from Chalina Goldman, the yard barker. Uh, disgraced former Chicago Blackhawks video, Black video coach, Brad Aldrich has had his name removed from the Stanley Cup for TSN's Ryan Rashog. Confirmed his name was actually X'd out on the Stanley Cup as they were engraving the 2020-2021 Tampa Bay Lightning uh, champions on the cup uh, yesterday. So their names came off. And uh, Ulrich, as reported last Friday, was the ma main focus of the uh, law firm Jenner and Block's detailed accusations. He sexually arrested, arrested and assaulted one of the players on the team in 2010 when the Blackhawks actually won their Stanley Cup and ended up being that Stan Bowman, the uh, president of hockey operations for the Chicago, and as well as Joel Quinville, who was the former coach of the Blackhawks and currently coaching the uh, Florida Panthers, they both had to resign. So uh, big shakeup. And uh, anyway, very interesting story. Um, I'll have some more update on NHL and NBA scores, plus an update on Tiger Woods and how he's progressing with his rehab coming up later in sports. All right, very good. Slick Rick, thanks. Um, and here he is, your friend who needs friends like this, who needs enemies. Here is whoa, your friend, whoa, your buddy, whoa, doing the news whoa. here. Well, I had good intentions. And here's, uh, Trying to help my boy. just didn't work out. Okay. Don't... Come on. That's fine. Mr. Uh, Paul Nolan, <laughs> what's on. going on there, Moneybags? <laughs> I'm fine, actually. I'm doing you're like okay. The Demo you're like the Democrats of this show. You want to use other people's money. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, now you got to see you go oh, too far with the name. I'm wearing blue, baby. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right, what's going on in the news, Paul? Uh, well, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis announced Wednesday he's creating a new police unit to pursue election crimes full-time and wants lawmakers to enhance penalties for those those who cheat when they vote, signaling the Republican efforts to enhance election integrity are way far from over. The Republican governor's announcement of the Office of Election Crimes and Security at a news conference in West Palm just comes months after he signed the law tightening the security for mail-in ballots. He said, I guarantee you this, the first person that gets caught, no one's going to want to do it again. After that, he went on to say, if someone's ballot harvesting, you report it to these people, and that's their sole job. Some of these counties, some of them will do the cases, but it's not their expertise. They got all the other crimes they have to deal with, so by the time it happens, the election's already over, and that's why this force has been created to combat election uh, fraud. So Yeah, the, cool. um, the governor of Florida said a lot of things today, and that brings us to our LOL video of the day. G, roll it. If you look at what's going on with, with some of the big corporations, with their woke agenda, when you look at the Biden, the Brandon administration, in terms of what they're doing... <laughs> Yeah, 
there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. funny. That's a beauty. The uh, governor of Florida. So, all right, what else in the news, Paul? Boy, I'm I'm getting a lot of emails talking about how bad you guys just crucified me here on the show. I mean, I got to be honest with you. Oh, God. Me a Democrat, Come on. Suck it up. Me a, <laughs> pull me a Democrat. Look, I don't mind the abuse, but a Democrat. Suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> <laughs> what else? Uh, oh, I guess. Uh, um, oh, yeah. Uh, families could be denied death benefits for unvaccinated loved ones, according to a report. Uh, families of unvaccinated workers may not receive death benefits if that person dies of COVID-19. In an article on a website in KHN, the uh, New York Metropolitan Transportation Authority is denying $500,000 death benefits to families of the unvaccinated subway bus commuter workers. Um, it strikes me as un, as uh, needlessly cruel," uh, said Mark Dubovsky, who represents the workers' benefits uh, disputes. And uh, he said other employees are considering the federal vaccine mandate as justification for denying potential death benefits or insurance claims based on someone's vaccination status. Pretty twisted. Pretty. Yeah. That's his. Uh, that we're, we're getting to a whole new level of sick. Insurance companies using a loophole to screw you in your death. That's impressive. Um, cut nine, G. We've played this for you before, but now that she's the new lieutenant governor of Virginia, I want to play this for you one more time and introduce you and remind you of the new lieutenant governor in Virginia, who she is. This is one of the campaign videos she ran that we ran for you at the time. It was the first time I heard her speak, and I found this video, and I thought, man, she's impressive. Well, now she's the lieutenant governor. Uh, Winsome Sears here. Roll this, G. Let me tell you about me. My name is Winsome Sears, and I served in the United States Marine Corps. I was the first Republican to win a seat in the House of Delegates in a majority black district since 1865. In the General Assembly, I had a 100% pro-life and pro-Second Amendment record. I became the national chairman of black Americans to reelect President Trump, and we turned out more black voters for any Republican president since Reagan. Now our country's falling into chaos but I still believe in the America that has accepted me as an immigrant and gave us a shot at the American dream. I was raised in an America where your character married more than your political party, where we worked together to build great things and to become that shining city on a hill. I built my small business here in Virginia and I believe in a Virginia based on freedom, community and faith. My name is Winsome Sears and I'm running to be your next Lieutenant Governor so that the American dream can still be available for the next generation. Mm. She is impressive. Mm -hmm. Very. You know, looking at the number, well, we don't have time. We'll get into this mm. when we get back from the break. Live from Studio 6B on a Wednesday. I love this song. Sports. Rick Delgado's here. Uh, Geofran holding it down as always. 
So one of the things you keep hearing, uh, or at least I keep hearing uh, coming out of last night, the president was asked about today. Cut 16, G. Roll that. As leader of the Democratic Party, how much responsibility do you take for the dismal results in Virginia and beyond last night? Well, look, yesterday reminded me of uh, that one of the sacred rights we have is to be able to go out and cast our votes. And remember that we all have an obligation to accept the legitimacy of these elections. I was talking to Terry to congratulate him today. He got 600,000 more votes than any Democrat ever has gotten. We brought out every Democrat about there was more votes than ever has been cast for a Democratic incumbent. I'm not incumbent, a Democrat running for governor. And no governor in Virginia has ever won when he's of the same, he or she's the same party as the sitting president. What I do know is, I do know that people want us to get things done. They want us to get things done. And that's why I'm continuing to push very hard for the Democratic Party to move along and pass my infrastructure bill and my Build Back Better bill. I think if we look, think about what we what we're talking about here. People are upset and uncertain about a lot of things from COVID to school to jobs to a whole range of things and the cost of the, the a gallon of gasoline. And so if I'm able to pass signing the law, my Build Back Better initiative, I'm in a position where you're going to see a lot of those things ameliorated quickly and swiftly. So, so that has to be done. Responsibility, and do you think that Terry McAuliffe would have won if your agenda had passed before election day? Well, uh, I think we should have passed before election day, but I'm not sure that I would be able to have changed the number of very conservative folks who turned out in the red districts who were Trump voters, but maybe, maybe. No, I, I, I know we did, but I, we also, I was running against Donald Trump. Hmm. Charlie Cook in National hmm. Review says, uh, no, McAuliffe did not lose because Democrats failed to pass Biden's left wing agenda. He says, yesterday, before the results from Virginia were in, the new republic issued the following warning. Virginia is a state that's been trending blue for a while now. The state hasn't voted for a Republican for president since George W. Bush in 2004, and Democrat margins have been increasing. Joe Biden won it by double digits. Within the state, Democrats control the governor's mansion, the attorney general's office, the secretary of state's office, and both chambers in the state legislature. Both of Virginia's seats are held by incumbent Democrats who haven't been in any serious electoral peril for some time now, even a presidential election where Senator Tim Kaine was on the losing ticket. But gridlock in Congress has acted as a depressant for Democratic voters and activists. Democratic leadership in the House of Representatives has desperately worked to cobble together an infrastructure deal that would, among other things, offer McAuliffe at least a last-minute boost. On Monday, Senator Joe Manson once again squashed those hopes when he held a press conference saying he needed to study the fiscal impact of the budget bill before deciding whether to vote for it. That's what the New Republic had said. Charlie Cook says, The idea that gridlock in Congress has acted as a depressant for Democratic voters and activists, and that's cost McAuliffe the election, as it's being widely repeated today, uh, 
it doesn't make a great deal of sense. Turnout in Virginia was really high. So high, in fact, that Terry McAuliffe got more votes last night than any Democrat has ever gotten in a gubernatorial race in all of Virginia's history. He lost because Glenn Youngkin got more. It is, of course, impossible to know what extent the actions of the Democratic Party in Congress caused this. But if we are to speculate, as so many people are, it would make much more sense to speculate in the other direction. That is, to propose that more than a million people who voted for the Republicans were sufficiently fired up enough by the Democratic Party's behavior to overcome the record, record turnout for the Democratic candidate. Why were they fired up? Local issues played a huge part, of course, but evidently so did the national environment. And that national environment has not produced an electorate that is clamoring for a spending spree. Au contraire, as I noted last night, the exit polls showed that Biden's job approval in the state is 45 to 54, 52% of Virginia voters consider the Democratic Party to be too liberal as opposed to 13% who consider it not liberal enough. 77% describe themselves as either conservative, 37%, or moderate, 40%, compared with 23% who describe themselves as liberal. This, I observed, was not an electorate that spends its days retweeting Bernie Sanders. But don't take my word for it. This morning, the Democratic Aligned think tank Third Way managed simultaneously to push for the Democrats to pass their spending bills and to admit openly that voters don't know what's in the bills and what they should now know they most likely don't want to know. Insofar as it goes, that is an indefensible position. Third Way is a think tank, not a polling operation. But it is not a position that can be squared with the idea that McAuliffe and his party suffered a rout last night because the Democrats failed to ram a massive expansion of government through a tightly divided Congress. And I agree with that. And that's the point, right? The point that Biden seems to be missing, although I'm not so surprised that he's missing. The only thing I'm not surprised that he's not missing is his pants in that interview. But um, I see Pelosi this morning. I see on... Bloomberg headline, Pelosi moves to revive paid family leave, meets resistance from Manchin. So she's trying to get more spending into the bill this morning. So here you would think this would slow down in the idea that, um, no, it's not that he didn't pass the bill that hurt him. It's the idea that people don't want the bill. That's the point. So now to turn around and go, okay, well, let's put more in the bill now. And now we got to pass the bill and that's going to help. No, that's not, that's the point. That's not going to help. This is what people are sick of. People are seeing inflation. People are seeing the M2 money supply, all the dollars printed in the last two years. They're seeing the reverberations of what that means to people now. And we'll continue to see. And what's their answer? More spending. So yeah. you wonder... They, they just don't get, the, they're not. Well, it's because they're, they're trapped in their echo chamber. You know, all they do is listen to themselves. You saw everybody on MSNBC and CNN. They don't get it. They still think, well, you know what? They're just a bunch of idiots. We'll do it anyway. Nobody's going to, nobody's going to stop us. We're going to get our, we're going to get our, our stuff done the way we want it, whether they like it or not. And that's the way Pelosi thinks. 
And, and and to sit there and think, oh, well, you know, it was uh, because I didn't get my my build back better bonus, whatever he calls it, better uh, thing passed, had nothing to do with it. People saw, th- they saw the local side of it. They saw the kids being attacked. They saw themselves being attacked. And they're, they're fed up. They don't, they don't see, they don't like the direction the country's going. They don't agree with it. And, you know, Again, you're, you're talking about a small minority of people with a loud voice, their own echo chamber. They all talk to themselves. They all believe what each other says, and they all repeat it. So they don't see, you know, and, and again, I'll throw it back to Van Jones where he pointed out, we don't see ourselves, I think is how he put it, how we come across. Yeah, you don't. You come across as a bunch of egotistical lunatics and morons and, and a-holes, and nobody likes that. Arrogant. So stop forcing it down our throats. Yeah. Arrogant pseudo-intellectuals. Yeah. yeah. And he, of course, was talking about the Democratic Party, not, not about the media, but they're one and the same. And they come across one and the same. Right. And they, and still, and they still will not. Step. Right. They will not learn. They'll be like, nope, we got to keep pushing forward, as you just saw with Pelosi. All right, a Wednesday night, live from Studio 6B. couple more to do. Glad you're in. We'll do some more sports, some more news. Crazy Town, coming up. Be on a Wednesday night, day after the election. Again, I can't say enough for Rav's coverage last night. It was just fantastic. Uh, let's do Crazy Town, G, because Biden was out today after he got back to the uh, White House late last night. It was pretty, uh, pretty interesting to see the juxtaposed shot of him getting off Air Force One as Glenn Youngkin was giving his victory speech. That was an interesting side-by-side. Uh, crazy town. Biden congratulates Terry McAuliffe. Roll it, G. This ought to be good. Get my mask here. Well, uh, look. Um, look. Hello. <laughs> there's a whole lot of confusion. The three months before I came to office. The economy was stagnant, creating only 60,000 jobs a month. Since I've taken office, it's now averaging 600,000 new jobs every month. That's the average. So as a, this, is, this is a strong pace, and this brings, uh, this brings me to where we are and That's where we're going to go from here. We've already sent millions of doses, excuse me, <coughs> millions of doses at approximately, excuse me, <laughs> I beg your pardon. I swallowed wrong. <laughs> yeah, sure. Vaccinating our children will help us keep our schools oh. open. It matters. We'll also ensure equity. That is the center of our children's vaccination program as it, been, as it has been the, pra- the vaccination program for adults. And I'm proud to say black and brown adults and Native Americans have gotten vaccinated at the same rate as white adults. Last Thanksgiving, for the first time, just four of us, my wife and I, our daughter and, her, and my son-in-law. Later this month, 
Our tables and our hearts are going to be filled thanks to the vaccines. The pandemic is not yet behind us, yet behind us, but we're getting there. <laughs> not Get yet. vaccinated. You can do this. We'll start all the way at the end. Thank you, Mr. President. Appreciate it. You're not all with the end, but that's okay. You're up. Yesterday reminded me of uh, that one of the sacred rights we have is to be able to go out and cast our votes. I was talking to Terry to congratulate him today. He got 600,000 more votes than any Democrat ever has gotten. More votes than ever has been cast for a Democratic incumbent. I'm not incumbent, a Democrat running for governor. I think if we look, think about what, we, what we're talking about here. You know, I, I, I know we did, but I, we also, I was running against Donald Trump. You know, uh, they'll get tax breaks, and a genuine tax breaks. If that's Trump, to tell him I'm busy. <laughs> bad, bad joke. But anyway, but the, but, 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 but the point is that, Ooh. you know, we have to move and make it clear that what we've done is increasing their look. The reason I mentioned Sorry? Trump, if I didn't count the times, <laughs> is because the issues he supports are affecting their lives every day and they're a negative impact on their lives. Thank you all very much. Oh, my goodness. I, I was hoping to see him stumble into the wall. <laughs> He's at the point where you have to put a tether on him and leave him in the yard just to make sure he doesn't get away. I mean, uh, seems pretty tone deaf to me. Yeah. Still. He, he, he was calling Terry McAuliffe to congratulate him. On hey, hey, good job on losing. <laughs> hey, hey, good job losing all, all uh, statewide races in Virginia. You guys yeah. did a great job. That was amazing. Yeah. Uh, here was a clip that I think uh, maybe the president might want to watch again. Cut 7G, Steve Ratner, uh, it at least tries to sum it up here. Roll that. Let me show you the answer in chart number three, which is, in fact, Americans' lives aren't better uh, necessarily, because when you look on the left here, this is this shows you what happens to real wages, wages after adjustment for inflation. And you can see the dotted line is the trend line. And wait, real wages after inflation actually jumped up during the pandemic, mostly because mm. prices went down. But what's happened since then, this is inflation. And this is what the American people are really unhappy about. Inflation, for the first time in a long time, is polling number one broadly speaking across the nation, is the issue. And so you can see, in fact, that pink area shows mm -hmm. you the gap between the trend line where wages were supposed to be going and where real wages after adjustment inflation are actually going. Americans are actually losing purchase. For all the you read about wage increases, Amazon and this and so on, Americans' wages are actually going down at the moment in real terms <clears throat> after inflation. inflation. Gas is $3.40 across the nation. It was That's the highest since 2014. Yep. There was a poll in October in which 89% of Americans said they were very concerned about the economy. There was a poll in October also that said that half the Americans expect the economy to get worse, not better, over the next few months. And you can see that in the chart on the right, which, which compares uh, sentiment about jobs to just general sentiment. And you can see that they track closely, 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 and then suddenly they diverge. Why do they diverge? Americans know there are a lot of jobs, but they're still unhappy about the economy because of inflation, because of the purchasing power. Yeah. That's, that sums it up, what he said. Americans' lives are not better under Biden. I don't care if you voted for him, if you didn't vote for him. Nobody's lives are better under Biden. No one's. Nothing, as a matter of fact, is better than it was before him. Almost nothing we can point to. Unless you're the it, CEO of Pfizer. Well, that's, yes. <laughs> Unless you're the CEO of any of the big pharmaceutical companies, then things are great. You and Fauci and your little plan has worked well. Um, 
But nothing else is better. Nothing. And um, they just continue to seem, seem tone deaf to that fact that nothing has improved. He hasn't done anything to tamp down the virus. He's made it worse. More people have died under him than did under Trump. We never hear, we never hear about that, but that's actually the case. And uh, for Pelosi to come out today and start trying to stick things back into the bill and the excuses you're hearing about, it's all about white supremacy, it's all about being racist, that's why he won, it's all dog whistle, you know, although it's hard, Biden, no, it's hard in Virginia to want Okay, you can keep rolling with that. Keep rolling with that for the next year. The only thing that the Democrats can hang their hat on is that the midterms were not, are not yesterday that they have another 12 months to decide which way they want to go. Shapiro, go ahead. I was going to say another thing they don't take into account, and this is something that, you know, again, it's going to come back to bite them. Because they're they're sticking hard and fast to their their you know new religion of socialism, communist, uh, whatever whatever the uh, you know utopian landscape to them looks like, that's where they want to drag us to. What they're not understanding is that maybe yeah maybe there was a you know a great surge of Republicans showing up to the polls. Maybe that did happen. Probably did. Um, but they're not counting in how many Democrats cross lines as well especially in Virginia and New Jersey, which from what I understand, New Jersey has about a million more Democrats than Republicans. So how does that race end up 50, 50 people had a, people had to cross the line. Simple as that. And they don't, oh, yeah. they're not acknowledging those people, the people they're losing. And, you know, like you said, keep doing that for the next year. We welcome it because you're just, you're just gutting your own party. Um, speaking of that, Ben Shapiro has a piece today in PJ media. And it's entitled The Red Wave and the Democratic Suicide Strategy. Speaking to just this, he says, This week, reality struck back against Democratic electoral utopianism. Since 2012, Democrats have been convinced that a new, durable, near-unbeatable political coalition was in the making. A coalition largely comprised of college-educated white voters, women, younger Americans, and racial minorities. This coalition would overtake the demographically shrinking old white majority and win victory after victory after victory. As Roy Teixeira and John Halpin wrote for the Center for American Progress in the aftermath of Obama's re-election, Obama's strong progressive majority, built on a multiracial, multiethnic, cross-class coalition in support of an activist, is real and growing, and it reflects the face and beliefs of the United States in the early part of the 21st century, unquote. Cap called this new strategy the culmination of a decades-long project to build an electorally viable and ideological coherent progressive coalition in national politics. Ever since 2012, he writes, Democrats have been chasing that chimera. Instead of seeing Obama's 2012 victory as a testament to Obama's unique political skill, they have doubled down on the cap strategy. More progressivism, more race-based politics. When that strategy failed in 2016, they chalked it up to Russian election interference and Facebook propaganda. 
When President Joe Biden won election in 2020, they announced that their strategy had been vindicated, even though the election was rather obviously a referendum on former President Donald Trump personally, not proof of their strategic brilliance. And so Democrats misread the tea leaves once again. Biden was elected to do two things. Number one, not be Trump and restore a sense of moderation and stability to the White House. He has succeeded in the first, mainly because nobody is President Trump. He has utterly failed in the second. That's because Biden rejected the central premise of his own candidacy, calling for more social spending than any president in history abandoning Afghanistan to the Taliban for no apparent geostrategic reason, embracing the radical language of anti-racist activists, cramming down the restrictive COVID-19 policies via the administrative state, and characterizing his opponents as bigots and racists and January 6th adjacent domestic terrorists. Biden mini-me's like Terry McAuliffe in Virginia have imitated this strategy. The result, predictably, was a disaster last night, not just in Virginia, but across the country. In Virginia, a state Biden won by 10 points. McAuliffe went down in flames. A black female Republican became lieutenant governor. A Cuban-American became attorney general. And the GOP took the House of Delegates. In New Jersey, a no-name candidate ran dead even with the media-fetted Democratic Governor Phil Murphy. In Buffalo, New York Senator Chuck Schumer endorsed Democrat Socialist India Walton while she imploded against a write-in candidate. In Minneapolis, the defund the police movement shattered on the rocks of reality, with voters overwhelmingly rejecting, rejecting the dismantling of the police department. In New York City, Eric Adams became mayor and quickly pledged to work with new Republican city council members. Now Democrats have a choice, he says. They can either tack back to the center, stop pushing a build back better grab bag of spending that is unpopular and unnecessary, or they can push forward. They can stop pressing the language of 1619 Project in public school education, or they can demand that parents continue to shut up. They can double down on progressivism, or they can try to find a Clintonian third way. Right now, it looks like they'll embrace more cowbell. The media and the Democratic response to Virginia seems to be more spending, more labeling parental opposition to radicalism as racist and homophobic, more jabbering about Trump and January 6th to distract from their own failures. It's a bold strategy. We'll see how it works out for them. But for the Democrats, a serious appraisal of their political landscape, an appraisal that might end with the realistic assessment that Obama's coalition is not inevitable— that there are swing voters in America that policy ought to be directed towards every voter might just be too difficult for them. Better to live in fantasy world in which Obama is president forever. His coalition is durable and stable and more progressive is always the answer. But 2022 is coming and fantasy will once again meet reality for the Democratic Party committed to fundamental untruths about you, the American public. All right, more sports, more news. When we get back, we'll wrap it up on a Wednesday live from Studio 6B.
Studio 6B, 13 to the hour. Wrap it up here. We'll do a little more sports. And here with that is Slick Rick Sports, at Slick Rick Sports on Twitter. Follow him there, uh, Rick Amorati. Did we see the bird before? Uh, yes, yep, that was Curacao. He came on for a quick minute. You know, they get a little camera shy, but he did jump on. I'm going to try to have his Sachi on right at the end of the show, too, when we came Okay, out. very good. What's going on in sports? Well, we have a devastating story. I actually uh, had broke on Twitter myself yesterday. Uh, I got it a few minutes prior to that, obviously, about the uh, story in Las Vegas. Henry Ruggs III, who drove 156 miles per hour seconds before the fatal crash. This is from ESPN News Service. Uh, former Raiders wide receiver drove 156 miles an hour in his Corvette with a blood alcohol content twice Nevada's legal limit before slamming into the rear of a vehicle and killing a 23-year-old woman. This was uh, earlier yesterday. Uh, again, you know, Henry Ruggs, uh, a big draft pick for the uh, Raiders a year ago, uh, and the Raiders immediately, they released him uh, last night, actually, just immediately after they confirmed all the facts, and uh, he's no longer with the team, obviously. And if convicted, he can get to 26 years in a state prison. Just absolutely crazy, reckless, 22-year-old kid, uh, you know, with the world by the hands, you know, he had it all. But uh, they said the uh, the car actually traveled his car 519 feet after impact, and the victim's car 100 571 feet after impact. It was just absolutely terrible. Uh, the young lady died as well as her dog. They were trapped in the car. You know, bystanders tried to get her out, and they just couldn't do it because of the, the heat of the uh, fumes and all. Devastating story, you know, and just just goes to show you, it's all about choice in life. Like I tweeted out yesterday, and uh, well, that young man did not make a good choice, and. Uh, what a shame and very, very sad. And the Raiders did the right thing. They reached out and, and obviously wished the uh, family of the young lady all the best and, and sent their deepest regrets. So just a sad story. And uh, that'll transition into a good story from another car accident that happened, uh, well, earlier this year. And this is the latest on Tiger Woods. Uh, there's uh, good news on him. This is from Z Macklin of The Spun, which is uh, part of Sports Illustrated. And uh, it's been nearly a year since Tiger Woods suffered his uh, life-threatening car accident that put his golf uh, career, obviously, on hold. Earlier today, reports emerged that Woods has made significant progress in his recovery and rehab, per the report. And Woods has progressed to the point where he is now engaged in uh, limited golf activity. So he's already out there on the greens shooting away. And uh, the 15-time major winner was hospitalized back in February after his car went off the road and crashed, suffering compound fractures in both legs and a shattered ankle. Uh, but it appears his rehab recovery efforts are starting to pay dividends. He is out there. Of course, getting back in a major, as Big D will tell you, you know, that's it's going to be slim, slim chances. But his hardcore fans are holding out hope that uh, slowly he'll progress. And perhaps we may see, once again, Tiger Woods one day on the course. Yes, you just never know. Yeah. We'll see him on the senior tour. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. Hey, just a couple quick scores before I wrap my sports report up. NHL, just a couple of games in action. Predators and Oilers tied 1-1 in the second. And the Blackhawks over the Hurricanes right now, 2-1. And Blue Jackets Avalanches tied 0-0 in the first. The Pacers beat the Knicks in Indiana tonight. That was 111-98. The Sixers beat the Bulls uh, in Philly, that 103-87. The Hawks right now trailing the Nets 113-100 in Jersey. Actually, in Brooklyn, check that. And uh, the Celtics uh, over the Magic, 92-79. That is a final. And that's a wrap in sports. Big D, back to you. All right, Slick Rick, thanks. Uh, let's do a little more news, Paul Noman. There is other news, obviously, other than the election results. Uh, what else is going on? You know, uh, just staying with sports, Aaron Rodgers uh, considered himself immunized with vaccine alternative 
Uh, so Aaron Rodgers has always been so. Yeah, who- what is this story? I saw this today <laughs> that Rodgers is out this week because he's got COVID, right? He's got COVID. Yep. He, um, but that's not the only part of this story. No. So this is from uh, Just the News and the Post. So I'm, I'm kind of merging the two stories because they're both so small. But um, you know, he, uh, he, so he, all right, so he, you know, he's always been kind of a maverick. You know, like he'll say yeah. and do whatever he wants. And so he this week. Um, tested positive for COVID while unvaccinated, but he had been asked in the preseason if he was, you know, vaccinated. He said, yeah, I'm immunized. And, you know, essentially he didn't want to get vaxxed and he didn't want to get peer pressured into it. And he, uh, he petitioned the NFL uh, to have an alternative treatment that underwent that he underwent before he returned to the Packers that would allow him to be considered the same as someone who received one of the approved vaccinations according to ESPN and that's from Ian Rappaport um, who's usually very you know very accurate in his reporting for the yeah. NFL he's actually one of the most reliable sources there is him and Jake Glazer uh, he said he received homeopathic treatment from a personal doctor to raise his antibody levels and this is all uh, being reported by the NFL and um, so in August, he was directly asked that question. He said he was immunized. So now he is uh, COVID positive. COVID positive. <laughs> He's not allowed to play this weekend. He was seen this weekend at a party in a, you know, he was dressed as John Wick. Yeah. And uh, he's doing Bitcoin commercials. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's, you know, yeah, and, and uh, apparently uh, now Jordan Love, um, they're afraid he might have it, who's the backup who they drafted in the first, they traded up the draft in the first round last year. There really was another, th- another little story that sent Rodgers into a tizzy because nobody told them they were going to draft the quarterback in the first round. And now they're saying that the third-string quarterback, uh, Kurt Benkirk, he's out because he's got COVID-19 because he, he tested positive. And a lot of the players were also at the same Halloween party so this could be one of those things where a whole team is obliterated and... Well, this be- is interesting. Wait. It's going to open up a... You would think this is going to be interesting this to see how the NFL now handles this. Yep. So I don't know what the NFL mandate was before the season. They all have to hand in their vax cards or what What did they have to... Does anyone know what their actual policy was? I do have the Just actual take your policy, word? but it's no. really... We don't have enough time to go through it. The policy was pretty long and detailed. It read like a... Really well, give me the like crux a, of it. Did they? How would they know if you were vaccinated? If you're the yeah, NFL? Well, they uh, they wanted you to, you know, show proof of vaccine with your card, and um, right. you know, apparently he convinced the league that he had this homeopathic process, and uh, they they apparently they granted him access to the league. I guess because when you're a star, there's a different standard, I suppose. Well, that's, but, uh, that's one of the interesting parts players also of have to wear, They have to wear masks yeah. everywhere they go, in every facility they go. They have to wear, um, they have to social distance. They have, there's a, they have to follow a lot of protocols if they're unvaccinated. That's why we see Carson Wentz wearing a mask always on the sidelines and at every press conference and uh, Cole, uh, Cole Beasley from the uh, Buffalo Bills as well. So they have to really, you know, social distance and, and, and do the mask thing. Is yeah, but but Rogers wasn't doing that. He, he wasn't was doing not, any of it. He wasn't. Well, he, and, and you know, some people are like, well, you know, he, he, he he's you know uh, he's so brave or whatever. He's not brave because he kept it hidden. If he wanted to be brave, if he really wanted to take a stand and say, you know what, I believe in in a different type of immunization. Here's what I'm doing. I suggest anybody who doesn't want to take the jab 
look into this or maybe some other route. Do that. Use his celebrity. Use his power. Yeah, obviously, go, yeah, he didn't go to the Dan Bongino way of doing things. Right. It, it, obviously, you know he went to the NFL and said, "Look, I'm one of your big guys. You want me out there?" And they looked at it as like he's he's a performer. They need him on the TV screen. So you know what? He leveraged that. But, but now, he didn't yell leverage it for anybody else. Essentially, this fight is coming to his table. So this fight is here, and he got through halfway through his season. He's, he's This is the last year of his contract because it was renegotiated, and it puts him in a position where he will get signed by a big-time team that will be Super Bowl-ready, a team with a great roster without a great quarterback. Right, but yeah. what happens here? Does the league say, hey, well, we knew about this, we we were, we were in on it, or, well, or no, we, he lied to us, and now he's suspended? Well, right. that's exactly where this fight goes. And to, to Rick's point, this is where he has to step up. In the past, I see not wanting to be bothered. Hey, man, I just want to play ball. I want to be left alone. It's nobody's business. But now the fight is at his doorstep. Yeah. He better be a champion yeah, for Liberty right up. now. Emirati, who do you now. have there? That's Versace, wow. Mr. Versace. <laughs> hey, buddy. <laughs> Mr. Ver- say hello. Mr. Versace. <laughs> say, right. let's go, Brandon. <laughs> teach him to say, let's, yeah, let's go, Brandon. Brandon. I can teach him that. All right, as always, we salute our military, <laughs> active and active police, firefighters, first responders, EMTs, everybody on the front lines. Thanks, everybody on the show. Thanks, G. Thanks, Fran. Thanks to Mr. Versace. That's a beautiful man. Is that beautiful? Uh, we'll see you tomorrow night, 8 p.m. Right here, live from Studio 6B. Let's go, Brandon. Biden sucks. Let's go, Brandon.